If you will uh, look in your pew Bibles on page 1533, I will be reading from the book of Matthew, Matthew 21, 28 through 32. This is a parable of the two sons, Jesus speaking. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in my vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The priests answered, the first. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Please bless the reading of God's word in the words of Jesus. Thank you, Aunt Cecilia. You know, she's my aunt with whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to the Skillman Church of Christ. It is great to have you here today as we continue our series on the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And it's been an incredible ride. And today, as you have just heard, we have come across another parable, the parable of the two sons. Before I hit on this parable, I do want to tell a parable of my own that just happened this past week that is so unbelievable that you may not believe it. So, as you guys know, uh, tomorrow, uh, my family and I, for the first time in two and a half years, we are returning back to Peru for a trip. It's the first time that my kids have been back since we moved from the mission field. Uh, there's a lot of emotions, excitement, nervousness tied up to it. And so we'll be there for the next couple of weeks uh, in Peru. And so you'll miss me. <laughs> I'll miss you. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you won't miss me. I will miss you. Um, but uh, the, the problem was is that when we were leading up the trip, we realized that the passports were expired. This is several months ago. So we decided, hey, we're going to play it safe. You know, we're going to go to the passport office way early, and we're going to put the, the, the application in. So we did that, and it was within the range of time that we paid the normal fee for it instead of the expedited fee. So an, a week went by, two weeks went by, three weeks went by. Well, two months went by, and we still hadn't received any word about these passports that we that renewed. And uh, I kept calling the passport office, and I kept getting, you know, no one on the phone to help. And they kept saying that it was in process in New Orleans. And uh, so last week, as of Wednesday, Wednesday of last week, talking about a couple days ago, it was still being processed in New Orleans. And I told the guy on the phone, I said, listen, I'm leaving on Monday. I need these passports yesterday. 
Uh, and they said, oh, don't worry, we sent word, it's going to come. But I'd heard that before. Uh, so that night, I had a speaking engagement. We got, I got invited to speak at the Marcellus Avenue Church of Christ. And some of you were there uh, to, at, this, at this speaking engagement. So uh, I, after the, the message, I was saying hello to people, and um, there was a guy that came up to me. And he shook my hand. I, I shook his hand. He said, thank you so much for the message. So happy you were here. And I said, well, thank you. And, and as I was talking to him, he looked very familiar. I was like, man, where do I know this guy from? And it dawned on me as we were talking, he was the passport office. The Dallas County, <laughs> Dallas County Passport Office. And he is the chief of all passports in all of Dallas County. If you want a passport, this is the guy to talk to in, if you live in Dallas County. And he joked with me, he said, hey, will you get your passports yet? And I said, actually, no. <laughs> I leave on Monday, and I haven't gotten a word about my passport. It's still in New Orleans. And he said, don't worry about it. Let me make some phone calls. Well, yesterday, I get home, and there on my door are three passports. So we're going to Peru, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are the chances, man? What are the chances that of all the places in all Dallas, this guy's there, and I'm speaking that very night. Anyway, I don't know. It's just an amazing story. I had to share that parable. Back to the Bible. Thank you guys so much again. Uh, you know, this parable that we're talking about in Matthew 22, it's a, it's a difficult parable to, uh, Matthew 21, it's a difficult parable to really interpret. It's one of those parables that after you read it, you're at the end, you're like, hmm, that doesn't sit real well. I don't really quite understand where Jesus is coming with this. And, and so I think to fully understand this parable, you have to kind of go, what's going on at this point in the story? See, this is towards the latter part of Jesus' ministry. He had just rode into town of the triumphal, in, the triumphal entry. He, uh, a couple uh, verses before this, he had gone into the temple and seen things being sold and was so angry he began to turn the tables. And he said that famous line that you have turned the temple into a den of robbers. Then in verse 18, he curses the fig tree. And then in the verse 23, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, begin to question the authority of Jesus, saying, well, who are you that has, who are you? And how could you have the authority to say these things? And he gives them a great riddle uh, about John the Baptist, whether John the Baptist was from man or from God. And these Pharisees, teachers of the law, began to think about it, and they answered, I don't know. They literally said, I I don't know how to answer this question. And then we get to this particular parable where he explains even further uh, what he's talking about in the parable of the two sons. A son, two sons, the first initially said that the son would not help in the field, but ends up changing his mind and going to the field. And the second saying that, yes, I will help in the field, but never actually shows up. And so he asks, well, which one is better? And they respond. And then Jesus, at the very end of this parable, says one of the most provocative, one of the boldest statements that Jesus says in the New Testament. He says in verse 31 of chapter 21, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Oh my goodness, Jesus. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the most religious people of that day. I mean, Jesus, come on. That is hardcore. That is strong. 
That is so strong. And he continues in verse 32. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, this is just one of the many passages in the book of Matthew in the New Testament where Jesus has a conflict with the Pharisees. I mean, all of the four Gospels, they have a different audience. The, you know, Mark is believed to be written to more of a Roman. The Luke is, is more of the Greeks. And it's believed that Matthew was written, intended to be read by the Jewish people, the people who had Jewish roots. And if you look in this book of Matthew and how Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, there is significant tension <laughs> between these two parties. I mean, Jesus says things to the Pharisees that we would, be, we would have a hard time saying now to this day. I mean, he calls them at one point a brood of vipers. I mean, have you ever called any, any group of people a brood of vipers? Anybody? When you're driving down uh, traffic, you know, Mockingbird Lane, someone cuts you off. You brood of vipers! How dare you! He calls them hypocrites time and time again, blind fools. I mean, any insult you can think of, Jesus is just throwing at these Pharisees, at these teachers of the law. I mean, in, in this particular story, if there is a bad guy in this particular story, if there is an antagonist in the book of Matthew, if there is a group that is actually going away from what the kingdom of heaven wants, it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the bad guys in this movie. If this was a movie, every time the Pharisees walked in, you'd hear that, that really, uh, like the Darth Vader music. They're the ones that are against what Jesus is doing. They're the ones that are causing the troubles. It's interesting that in the book of Matthew, that it's the Pharisees that are the enemy of Jesus. They are the primary antagonist in this particular story. It's interesting that it's the, the devil... You know, he, he's, he's mentioned, but he's, it's not the pri primary antagonist. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not Julius Caesar, who in the book of Matthew, according to Jesus talking, is, that isn't the primary antagonist, the bad guy, the person going fully against the ways of Jesus. In, in this particular story, in Jesus time and time again, the bad guy, those that are against the will, those that are going against the kingdom of heaven— are the ultra-religious, the Pharisees, the legalists, those that can't see people over the policy or the law, the church leaders, those that should know the most about the law, those that are the experts and have memorized the Torah and all these things. It's interesting that in the book of Matthew, if you were to put to pin one group of people that is fully against what Jesus is trying to do, continually tr uh, clashing against Jesus and also <laughs> recipients of the wrath of the words of Jesus. It's the Pharisees. It's the teachers of the law. And these guys, they're smart people. They're smart. They're educated. They're part of the decision makers. They have the power within the religious circles. So who are these guys? Who are the Pharisees? Because if you know, if you go to any VBS and you start talking about Matthew, right? 
and you say, all right, Jesus, and all the kids will go, yeah. And then you say, Pharisees, ooh. F Jesus, yeah. Pharisees, boo. You guys want to do that? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Who are these guys? Who are the Pharisees? What is their motive? What is their intention? How did they get to be where they are? And why do they clash so much with the teachings of Jesus? Well, you know, the Pharisees, they are a group of the Jewish faith that was formed about 136, 130, 140 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, and if you read the writings of those in Israel who were in exile, remember Israel, the country of Israel, they were conquered by other nations and they were forced to leave Jerusalem. And if you read the, re if you read the writers about explaining why that happened, why did God allow that to happen, why were they sent into exile? If you read the prophets, it all goes back to the fact that the Jewish people had forgotten to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They had other idols. They forgot to care for the poor. They didn't keep the commandments. And so all these things were piling up. And so in the, the, uh, the, the literature of the prophets, you can see that they bl they're blaming all on the unrighteousness. That's why it happened. That's why God decided to let this happen to their people. And so... They were allowed to return back to Jerusalem and they decided to form a group of people that their number one job would be to make sure everyone keeps the commandments. This was their job. They were to look through the scriptures and they were to study it front and back and their job was to make sure that every single person kept the commandments, that they, they did what they said they were going to do. And so they had the certain laws that were there in the Jewish faith, but they added other laws that would prevent it. Like, here's the fence, right? Well, just to be safe, they created laws that would put them over here just so the fact they wouldn't get, get even get close to this law because never again would they want God to, uh, <clears throat> to allow such a thing to happen again. And these people, the Pharisees, they, they believed that God was going to send a Messiah, and this Messiah was going to create another kingdom just like King David. And so they were searching and they were wanting to find this Messiah who would establish this earthly kingdom. You see, if you look at the Pharisees, you can see a little humanity behind their role. I mean, they were just trying to keep the commandments. They were trying to do what the scriptures said. I mean, there's humanity behind it. And if you just look at the groove, you can kind of dehumanize it. But if you really look at what they were about... These people were trying their hardest to be holy, to be set apart. I mean, even the Pharisees, the name Pharisees literally means people who are set apart. They were trying their hardest to create an environment where they were keeping the commandments. But as you can tell, something went wrong. Something went, went wry. They, had made, they maybe began with good intentions, but something along the way happened, shifted, they lost focus. And then Jesus just clashed time and time again. And it, as Christians, if there's a group that clashes with Jesus, they should also clash with the followers of Jesus. So what was it about the Pharisees that Jesus detested? What was it about the Pharisees that got on his nerves time and time again? Well, one of the best places to find the answer of this question is in Matthew 23. And if you turn your, scripture, your Bible uh, to Matthew 23, starting in verse 13... And if you have one of the Bibles that are in the pew, 
It's page 1,536. Page 1,536. You can see a writing where Jesus literally just goes off. Goes off on these Pharisees. And it's called the seven woes of the Pharisees. And due to time, we're not going to read all the seven woes. And I, I do, don't you, I want, don't you be depressed for lunch. So I'll just summarize what Jesus says. Basically, there's four problems that Jesus sees with the Pharisees. And if you read, if you read 23, though, you can see that there is some strong language. I mean, he uses hypocrite seven times in this passage. In verse 15, this is a good one-liner. Next time you're in Dallas traffic. You travel over land and sea to, have to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Boom. That's a good roast, Jesus. He calls them blind guides in verse 16. He calls them blind fools in verse 17. He calls them blind men in verse 19. I can see a theme here. He, in verse 33, he calls them snakes, a brood of vipers. So what are the four things that I think are evident within the seven woes of Pharisees? Because I think we as a religious body, we as a community of faith, we are just as susceptible of what happened to the Pharisees we need to be just as careful. We need to be just as cognizant. I don't think the Pharisees are immune to what happened. I think any religious body, any spiritual community, any political group, there is the potential to take the path the Pharisees took. So what was it? Well, number one, time and time again, Jesus is angry with their hypocrisy. Number two, legalism. Number three, their exclusivity. And number four, their blindness. So four things. Hypocrisy, legalism, exclusivity, and blindness. And these are the things that Jesus hates. Jesus detests them. And it's important for us to look and see because it's easy to fall into these traps. I mean, hypocrisy. Let's look at these four briefly. And then I want to offer two counters. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is basically a disconnect between the outward portrayed uh, selves within and the, a disconnect with the outward within the inward. So if you're doing something or saying something about you that's not truly true or you're advocating something that's not the actual truth, then that is hypocrisy. It's claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's behavior does not conform. It's an inconsistency. Today in our church, it's like singing the joy of the Lord is our strength without a smile. It's like singing that song, but not letting the words actually impact your heart. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. I will not waver walking by. You're thinking about lunch already? I mean, that is hypocrisy. You are just letting the words come out of your mouth, but it's not impacting your very soul. Hypocrisy is saying something, advocating something, but at your very core, you're doing nothing about it. That is hypocrisy. What about legalism? Legalism is another hard trap that we need to be careful that we don't fall into as a religious body. Because legalism is essentially a great adventure in missing the point. A great adventure in missing the whole point. And if you look at legalism, it all begins with fear. 
You fear you're not good enough. You fear that God doesn't love you. You fear like you haven't done enough. You feel like you're not going to be included into the, the group. And so you end up creating laws and other rules and structures and other forms that become more of the law than the actual beginning. It's, it's missing the very point. When a policy becomes more important than the person. Exclusivity. Exclusivity is basically a part of the Pharisees when they create a system or create a group where others are excluded. And in fact, keeping the others out that may disrupt the life of the system that you have. In verse 13 of, uh, of Matthew 23, Jesus does write to them. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You, you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are, trying, who, are, who are also trying to enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's an example of they're not letting anybody into the kingdom. It's their group and their group alone, and they are defining who is in and who is out. Exclusivity is a cancer. It's a toxic form that the Pharisees fell into, and we also need to be careful. The last is blindness. Blindness, being unable to, to view, being unable to see new revelations of God's working. You see, the Pharisees were so focused on keeping the commandments. They were so focused on keeping the letter of the law that they missed John the Baptist. They ignored John the Baptist, as it says in the story. They ignored what John the Baptist said. And more importantly, they ignored Jesus because they were so focused on their inner culture. They were so focused on what they were about they were unable to witness what God was doing in something, new, in something new. You know, sometimes, and hear me out here, know my heart when I say this. Sometimes the greatest enemy of the next great thing that God wants to do in the world is what God did last time. And those people of faith that are wrapped around the leg of that thing, and they won't let it go, and they become an obstacle of that next thing. Sometimes it's what God did in the past that was so great. That we want to we make, make, it, make it happen again. We want to relive it. Sometimes when we focus on that, we, f- we miss out on what God could be doing now and here among the people that are around us at this time. You know, it's important when we talk about these four things, what are the opposite of that? The opposite of hypocrisy is authenticity, is honesty, is sincerity. Who's a fan of those words? Authenticity, honesty, sincerity. Anybody a fan in here of those words? Let me hear you. (laughs) All right. What about the opposite of legalism? The opposite of legalism is graciousness, being merciful, and grace. Who's a fan of these words? The opposite of exclusivity is humility, is hospitality, is being welcoming. Is anybody out there a fan of these words? And finally, the opposite of blindness is seeing, is being conscious, is being aware, it's being open. Anybody out there a fan of these things? We have these things as Christians to look to, to look for, to propel us and motivate us. So how do we get there? How can we move from those four things to the other side where there's awareness, where there's humility, where there's authenticity, where there's honesty? These are the things of the kingdom of heaven. These are the things to be celebrated. These are the things to be sought after. 
Well, well, it, here's a question. How, if we're looking at the parable, how can we become like the prostitute? How can we think like a prostitute in this parable? How can we think like a tax collector? Tax collector? That is the question. So two things. Before This is to close out on two things. And I, had, I, I did a little analogy, so we're going to kind of announce it, right? Uh, the first is hike to the mountaintop to see the forest. And the second is to turn your oven on self-cleaning mode. All right, you ready for this? All right, number one, how can we begin to think like the prostitute in that story? Number one, hike to the mountaintop to see the forest. You see, as a community, as a spiritual body, what we need to do is we need to learn to think in summary. Learn to reduce. We need to keep it simple as our body determines who we are. The least moving parts, when in doubt, keep it simple. I mean, if you look at church history, time and time again, you see essentially groups saying, well, what is this all about? Let, let me summarize it. What is it, what is it, what, what does it all come down to? You know, Micah, what does he say? In Micah 6.8, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. In, uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed, you see the first century church doing that, sitting down together, and they say, well, what do, can we all agree on? You know, you see Paul. Paul does it in Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, this is all about freedom, for freedom's sake, for, because Christ set us free. And then, what's most important is what Jesus does. When Jesus is pressed, when Jesus is asked to talk about what are the most important things, what does Jesus say in Matthew 22? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That is our mojo. These two commandments. Anything else is plus. Is Jesus plus something. This is the gospel. This is where we agree on. This is where we settle. This is the essential. Everything else is disputable. Everything else is disputable. And so what we need to do, we need to go to the very, very top of the mountain so we can look down and we can see the greater picture. We're not going to be messed in the weeds, caught in the weeds or caught in the forest, but if we go to the very top and we realize, hey, this whole thing, if we were to nail it down, what is this all about? It's about loving God. It's about loving each other as, as we love ourselves. That's what it's about. Everything else is just disputable matter. And it's not meant to divide. It's not meant to, to, to create friction. But it's able to be discussed. But essentially it all comes down to loving God and loving each other. The second is this. To turn your oven on self-cleaning mode. Do you guys know your oven has a self-cleaning mode? I didn't know that. I don't cook. <laughs> uh, Tara is a great cook. And she sometimes gives me a hard time about it. But it's, it's kind of my spiritual gift. Like I, my spiritual gift is surrounding myself with people who can cook. Like I'm serious. Like I don't, I don't know how I do it. My whole life, my whole life, like everywhere I go, I'm always around people who know how to cook. So for that reason, I've never learned how to cook. It's not my fault. God did it to me. It's, a, it's, a, it's my gift. But I just learned the other day that the kitchen has the oven. You have a, a button you press. And while you're sleeping... The oven cleans itself. It's like internal work. And so for our work, if we were going to try to combat hypocrisy, if we're going to try to combat legalism, exclusivity, and blindness, we need to turn our self-cleaning, 
our oven into self-cleaning mode. We need to do the inner work ourselves. We need to focus our energies on our own growth, on our own transformation. We have enough work to do as it is just on ourselves. And if everybody here were to do their inner work themselves and not worry about what everybody else is doing, what their cousin and what Aunt Betty's doing, if we just were to work on our own self, I think that we would see incredible transformation as a body. Number one, go to the mountain to see the forest. Number two, keep your oven in self-cleaning mode. This, as a body, is how we can live the teachings of Jesus in small ways. Every week we offer an invitation. And that's the invitation this week is for us to go to those places, those words that we talked about earlier, authenticity, honesty, openness, awareness. These are because of Jesus. The, the Jesus working within our life, the Christ that is making us better. And so that is why we are here to become, to grow into that area. To not be what we saw with the Pharisees and, and the hypocrisy. Because it's easy to get that way in, in religious groups. It's easy. But may we focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. If you need any prayers at all, we offer that at this time. If you need, uh, the elders will be on the side of the room. I'll be out front. If you need any questions, have any questions about baptism, I'm also here as well. But why don't you come while together we stand and we sing.